Um, and, and if teacher A and teacher B aren't working together as professional uh, colleagues um, in collaboration and openness, uh, you know, with the goal of continuous growth and improvement, that hurts children. And that could, that could be something that hurts generations of kids if you think about a teacher that has a, a 30 to 35 year career. Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm your host, Aaron Blackwilder. Today I'm having a conversation with Eric Sable. Eric is a middle school principal at Hall Middle School in Larkspur, California. Eric is the co-founder of Global School Play Day, which is dedicated to promoting more play in school. Today, we will be talking about leadership and its impact on shaping schools. Thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I really appreciate this, Eric. And I want to make sure I have the last name pronounced correctly. Is it Sable? It's Sable. Yes, that's excellent. You, you're you in the small percentage of folks that get it right the first time. So kudos and congrats. And thank you, first of all, you're, you taking the time. And just I feel so fortunate to have uh, come across the these network of teachers and educators Um uh, just truly it's it's filled me it's filled the bucket for me because um especially around the grading piece it, it can feel pretty lonely but um uh but part of what's really awesome is like showing other educators that actually you know what you know you're you're not alone you're not crazy um this this can be done and is being done so i really appreciate that energy you guys are are putting out there well, my pleasure. It's it's so much fun to do. I mean, sometimes it gets daunting, um, like anything. But yeah, it's 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 a fun. Um, so, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your context? Uh, what do you do? I am a 22-year now public educator. Uh, for 16 years, I taught high school Spanish um, here in Marin County at a couple different high schools. Um, also did some coaching. Um, and uh, then I got really curious about uh, sort of the operation of the, the bigger school. Um, was on a, a part of the WASC team um, that wrote uh, the report for my high school at the time. And, and that really kind of exposed me to sort of the big picture of the school. So, um, so I, I moved into site administration as an assistant principal, um, and, uh, then moved to middle school five years ago, which has been, um, a really incredible, um, journey that's, that's, uh, um, been, amazing for me as a, a person, a parent, uh, and an educator. And, um, and I've been principal here at Hall Middle School for the last three years. Well, okay. So let's jump into the questions. Um, this, I'm really intrigued by this. Um, you know, I, you, you've written a post for teachers going gradeless, and I'm really curious about your philosophy of leadership. Um, as a principal, what's important to you in leading your staff? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, uh, I think first and foremost, my philosophy is um, people in leadership roles. And it, that's not just uh, the, the formal leader um, of, of a school site, for example, um, but anyone in a leadership role, whether it's a teacher in a classroom or a union leader, um, uh, a superintendent, um, a, a department lead, 
that individual sets a tone. They set a tone um, with their actions, uh, with their communication, verbal, nonverbal. And so, um, uh, one thing that propelled me into wanting to pursue leadership was wanting to be somebody to set a tone of uh, openness, of positivity, curiosity, um, um, somebody that wanted to um, build a sense of team and family um, on my campus. And, um, and having worked under a variety of principles, um, uh, I, what I observed, um, uh, at least with the different people that, that I worked under, um, the, I don't like that terminology of working under someone, but I'll, sorry about the semantics there, but, um, but it, uh, you know, I didn't, I felt like, uh, we as a school, um, just weren't reaching our potential, you know, people weren't as happy, um, or as connected as they could have been. Um, because ultimately in, in hierarchies, no matter how horizontal your organization is, there still is going to be a leader. Um, that person really is a nexus for energy and, um, the whole tenor of, of an organization, um, is gonna, um, be attuned to that, the, the energy that the leader is putting out. So my first philosophy is that, um, leaders set the tone, um, and leaders, uh, model and demonstrate, um, the type of, um, culture, uh, that the school is, is, or, or the organization is, is going to, um, operate with, um, through their own actions and intentions. And so, um, you know, that's, that's first and foremost, I think that specific to education, um, a educational leadership is all about, um, understanding the power and the necessity of public education. I'm a product of public education, um, you know, uh, from kindergarten all the way up through university level. And, and I truly feel, uh, and I think that, um, 98 plus percent of all educators feel that our work is more important now than ever. Um, this in a society that continues to be very segregated, where there's um, so many divisions among economic, uh, cultural and racial lines, so many that are legacy divisions based on redlining, for example, Marin County is a great example, um, where African-Americans wanted to purchase homes um, um, after World War II um, when there was an a, um, influx um, from the South to come and um, build ships in, in the World War II effort. Um, and after that, naturally, families wanted to, to settle into nice neighborhoods, buy homes. Well, they couldn't. And in fact, we have our eighth graders that do a research project on this, um, which is really eye-opening to them. It, it's maybe for some of them the first time they've um, understood tangibly what institutional racism is and the effect that it has on a community. So, the public school is oftentimes the one place that all children from the wealthiest to the poorest um, meet up in one place and they belong to one family. Um, and so, I just feel very strongly that um, uh, school leaders um, have this incredible opportunity to create 
uh, an environment and a culture um, that says that um, every child has value, every child um, has a unique contribution to make, and it's our job to tap into that potential, help them understand their individual capacity and also to get them teaming up with each other um, because I hate to say it I'm sad to say it but this could be one of the last environments that our kids have a chance to be in a diverse setting so um, so those are a couple of the things that um, that, that really propel me um, I think the last thing I would say is um, that we grow, um, by har har harvesting, I should say, cultivating networks, um, um, professional networks um, amongst adults, whether they're teachers, classified staff, um, other district staff, parent community, other community partners, other schools. So we grow and change and evolve based on um, weaving those connections. And this is something that, that I, I write about in the piece where it's all too easy for schools to become islands unto themselves. So how can we um, build those bridges so that our, um, our culture of learning, if you will, is something that is really multifaceted, multidimensional, and it isn't just coming from within. We're building uh, networks and bridges to resources outside of our physical location. Well, you, you brushed on the topic there, the idea that, that we're islands. Um, and one of the, the things that concerns me in education is, is not only we are an island within our school, like how, how are we connecting to the community? How are we connecting um, our students to the community um, and then connecting the community to our kids? That's a huge thing that I think is important to education. Um, one of, I know one of your concerns is uh, this insularity of teachers and the, and the, experience that, that we are an island in our classroom. Um, it's one of the things that I know that you are um, interested in breaking down. So talk about that. Why is this a problem and what do we do about that? You know, th it, thank you for that. I, that's just a, a, a great uh, prompt. Um, insularity, um, whereby the, the each classroom is an island unto itself, is a major issue um, because as schools and as districts, um, we're organized under the premise um, that we are uh, um, operating under a shared set of values and norms and agreements and philosophies. Um, and any successful organization in any, um, in any uh, field um, has to have that as, as its standard. So when a school sees a, a situation where um, the different classrooms are operating on their own. It, it doesn't mean that kids aren't learning. You could have a brilliant teacher, uh, a one of the best ever. You know that the kids in that room are learning. But what about the room next door? Um, that might not be the case there. Um, and, and if teacher A and teacher B aren't working together as professional 
uh, colleagues um, in collaboration and openness, uh, you know, with the goal of continuous growth and improvement, that hurts children. And that could, that could be something that hurts generations of kids. If you think about a teacher that has a, a 30 to 35 year career. So, um, insularity a is, um, terrible for children because, um, it, adults are not building off of each other's knowledge and capacity. Um, two is I think that emotionally, psychologically, even physically, this is terrible for um, a human being. And I think we see that uh, A, there's well-documented uh, uh, um, teacher burnout. Um, I've seen a lot of studies that show that half of all educators leave the profession within five years. That's that's a crisis. Um, but for those that do stay in the profession, um, we don't want our teachers to, you know, be watching the clock for June, July, August. Um, teaching is a, a beautiful um, experience, working with children, working in collaboration with adults and community um, is something magical. And so, um, insularity, bad for kids <laughs> and it's bad for adults as well. And, um, and I think that it's, it should be something that honestly, um, every last school, um, in this country, if not the world should really do a, a culture inventory to, to really assess the, the level of openness and trust and dialogue. We did that at my school back in 2015. And what was really great was, um, helping us look in the mirror and, and teachers being su surprised really at, wow, you know, we, uh, we didn't know, um, that there was such a degree of maybe disconnect or lack of trust between teachers. Um, and that got us on the road to do more things to really get people more connected here and to, to feel, um, like they were, uh, more a part of a family. Um, and the effects of that, I think have been, um, incredibly tangible and visible and, um, and positive. Now, I know like many teachers um, are like everyone else. We're creatures of habit and um, we prefer the path of least resistance. And um, we've got a principal that's been here for three years and we've kind of been stuck on our own thing, um, doing our own job. How do you get teachers out of that comfort zone and get them to interact more with one another? Because that is important. You work. know, um, it, it's not just teachers that are creatures of habit. You know, it, you know, school leaders um, can be as well. And and so I think that um, first of all, it depends on the environment you're coming into. There's a, a high school principal in Chicago, somebody that um, I was so fortunate to meet when I was. Uh, a kind of a beginning site leader. His name's Jason Markey. Um, love him so much. And he wrote a really powerful post um, called Being Your School's Anthropologist. And so his, his premise is so powerful because you don't come in as a school leader and say, hey, guess what, folks? Now I'm in town and this is you know, what you're going to do. I mean, you can do that. And that's certainly something that does get done. Um, but the, uh, results I think, um, in general are very poor, um, imposition, 
uh, and sort of the colonization of these ideas um, is, is something that is rarely going to build capacity. It's rarely going to tap into um, the native wisdom and knowledge um, that, that is uh, in that environment. And um, in general, I think leads to disengagement and cynicism rather than leaning into um, some of these new thoughts and ideas. So, the first thing that a school leader needs to do in showing up at, in a new environment is to really understand the place's history, to really um, listen to the stories and to hear what people are proud of and to hear what people are sad about or mad about or confused about. Um, and if you're a good listener and take the time to connect with people already, that's that's the most important part of your job, just making those those connections. But two is to get your faculty doing that. And actually, there's a, a principal um, uh, uh, right at a middle school next door to us who his first year was last year. And he did just that. He took his staff through a protocol where they kind of went through the history of the school. And this wasn't just a benefit for him to, to learn about the school more, but it was uh, very powerful for the whole faculty. Because as you know, there's some folks that have been there 30 years, some folks 10, some folks for two or three. And so people's understanding of um, what got us to this point can be um, very different. So um, it, it first takes um, somebody who builds the space for adults to connect with each other. Um, and it can be as simple as, do you have meetings where people are sitting in chairs in rows or are you one big circle? Something like that. Um, it can be as simple as taking a meeting outdoors, um, rather than have a, a PD day inside sitting under neon lights, which of course is so <laughs> just makes people just fills them up with energy. Um, how about taking um, a PD day to a park or a museum um, or as, as we're fortunate enough here in California, <laughs> take it to the beach. Um, and so mix it up and get people interacting. That's the first thing. And even in a small school like mine, where we have 30 teachers, um, we've had these uh, outdoor days um, where we've taken a hike, where we've gone to a ropes course. And I've had a teacher say to me, you know, Eric, this is, this is really awesome. Like, you know, I never had a chance to talk with teacher X over there. I just, in our day to day, we never had any opportunity to connect. And this was really cool to be able to get to know her better. So, um, so I think the first thing that we need to do to interrupt this, this culture of isolation is to build the space to get adults interacting. And, and that's, that's the ultimate authority of a, a site leader is, um, when we're meeting, where we're meeting, and kind of the nature of what that that meeting or gathering is going to be about. So, um, and then from there, now you can start to um, open up other avenues for collaboration that's more specific to uh, content, etc. But um, but it, it all starts with the the relationships. You know, you, you remind me of something talking about taking your staff out for a hike or whatever. Um, just this past school year, um, our my principal um, got a school bus and took our whole staff around our community around to see where do our kids live. 
And that was super eye-opening and started a lot of conversations about the affluence of some of our students uh, that live up on the hill and the poverty of some of our students that live in the trailer parks. Um, it was such an eye opener. And just to have those conversations about this is where our kids live. Um, how do we, um, how do we teach such a, such a diverse group of kids? Um, opened up tons of great conversations and still today, um, you know, it, as the school year persisted, those were some of the major conversations that we had. Um, when, when dealing with kids and, and kids that were, um, that were, that were checked out from school or, or seemed, uh, like disconnected. And it was like, well, why? And well, didn't you see where they lived? And, and, and it was, it was huge. It was really That's amazing. That, I love that. I love that. And I'm going to happily borrow it. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So, um, and it's funny because I taught in the school district. I taught in that school for um, twelve years, and um, you know, I, I've I don't live in the city that I teach, but I live just outside the city, and I've never really explored um, the community uh, to that extent. Um, so, yeah, it was huge. And even if I lived there, I don't think I would have explored it to that extent either, and considered those things. Um, so. Now, you've shared with me um, that your school is going gradeless in its reporting. And um, it was an interesting, you know, kind of like a chat converse, uh, text conversation on this. But you made a comment saying that this shift uh, is a shift that's going to help support more collaborative experiences among your staff. How do you see going gradeless as that shift to create more collaboration between staff? Uh, you know, first of all, <clears throat> I... I'm so proud of this environment. Um, and I, just before we uh, uh, started talking this morning, I was on the phone with a, another local principal. Um, we had talked for about an hour. Um, so we're, we both feed into the same high school, two different <laughs> districts that feed into the same separate high school district. Um, but we have, um, in our own unique ways, um, kind of gone step by step uh, with uh, our schools in this process. The, 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 they've looked a little bit different at each site, but to start the school year um, in later August, um, there will be no more A through F grades at both of our schools. Uh, and now this doesn't come from the principal showing up and saying, hey, guess what? Um, we're doing away with grades. Um, ready go. Both of us in, in our own unique ways engaged in a years long process um, to really um, assess uh, uh, and get the, the, the staff and by extension, the community thinking about what's our culture of learning, what are our um, values around learning and do our current grading practices, the A through F model, um, do those align with um, what we want for students. And when the answer was clearly no, <laughs> when, when we understood that no, points, percentages, and A through F grades don't align with what we want for students um, as learners, as people, then the big question was, so why do we do A through F grades? Um, and, and, we, and if we can do something different, then let's go do it. So, um, so so our faculty together in collaboration um, overwhelmingly supported um, that move. Um, and so, and, and that was through 
conversation and dialogue and disagreement, open disagreement. And, and I, I am commend those individuals who had the bravery to, you know, seemingly be against the tide of this change. And obviously, you know, what, what Eric was interested in and, and supporting, um, those are the people that I respect more than anyone because they offered their uh, concerns or questions in an open professional manner. Their colleagues listened, supported them and also, um, provided, you know, their perspectives and, um, and counterpoints in a professional manner. So, so this, this process has already brought us closer together because we have confronted a 120 year old practice, something that is seemingly, uh, just a natural part of education's DNA. Um, we of course know that it isn't and doesn't have to be a part of what we do as educators. Um, but we together as a staff family, um, approach this very, complex and challenging conversation um, as colleagues, as professionals. And, um, and so, so that process alone has, I think, really woven um, stronger connections with us. Now, so that, that's the process. Now, moving forward into actual implementation, um, this is a shared language. Um, this, this isn't about having a teacher kind of create their own special mix classroom by classroom. Yeah, this is kind of how I weigh things. And I, I sort of have figured out my own formula for how I do grading. You hear that all the time in A through F settings, unfortunately, even today. So the way that this is going to, um, bring people together, uh, more closely as professionals is because they're sharing the same standards. They're sharing the same, uh, proficiency scales that articulate the, the growth continuum, um, from beginning to mastery. And, and also too, they're all doing so for the first time together. So all of us are beginners in this. All of us feel vulnerable. All of us, including myself, um, really, um, yeah, have, have a mix of excitement and nervousness, uh, of taking on this huge shift. And so, um, so, so that's something that, uh, and again, I'm going to facilitate that togetherness by making sure that our, our meeting times, um, are purposeful and dedicated to getting people together to have those conversations, teams that need release days to do that work. Um, we're going to support them. And so, um, so it is that foundation and those values, the process we've undertaken, and then um, the language uh, that we use um, with the students in collaboration with the students. Um, those are all elements that I think are going to continue to make us a, um, a closer knit group. Wow. Wow. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of benefits to making this transition in, in um, creating uh, developing the culture within the school. Um, 
what are some huge benefits that you guys have seen so far besides the obvious the collaboration that you're seeing and the conversations that are going on are there any other benefits that are going on um and what are the things that you still need to work out well gosh um that second part of your question <laughs> that's that's a long list don't get me started don't get me started but um th- so in terms of benefits um w- what's going to be so powerful um is that first of all let's look at the report card that that soon our our students will be getting rather than looking at seven different classes and and in five seconds or less you can see a kid's um you know letter grades um parents and kids now are going to actually have to sit together and really look standard by standard at their level of proficiency, not only in the academic content, but we also have articulated our habits of learning. So there are those critical uh, life skills like collaboration, uh, teamwork, communication, initiative, ownership of learning, um, things that that we would argue are um, uh, cut across all disciplines and and are more important um, for success in life um, than any one specific bit of academic knowledge. So parents and students are going to have the opportunity to look at that together and to have a more nuanced view of their learning and their progress. Because you and I both know that if you put a number uh, or a letter to something, uh, it's, we just, it can really, <laughs> it's an easy thing to latch onto, and it also really flattens the experience. Oh, you got an A in math. I guess that means you understand math. Well, not necessarily. What is it that, that went into that A grade? So, so this is, in a way, uh, I think the, the real benefit here is it's going to make parents and kids have more to talk about and make them slow that conversation down along with the fact that at each trimester we're going to have the students write a reflection on their academic growth and challenge areas as well as those habits of learning Um, so they're going to have now a a record an archive if you will of their own uh, growth and progress in their own words so so those those things um i think are going to be really incredible and and also too on the benefit side, it's really um, ensured that department teams um, are, are really getting clear on those essential standards that they're teaching. Um, and certainly there's going to be divergence here or there, um, or maybe even in how a unit is uh, carried out, but at the, at the foundation of it are those shared standards. In terms of... Um, things that that remain to to be worked on listen i i really think that it's it's just a question of including kids and parents in this process and getting their feedback um hearing their input um you know the 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 format of the report card itself will be interesting um because we want it to be accessible but also you know uh full of uh, good detail but not too overbearing. So I think that that's what's exciting about here being in what we would call our year zero. Um, We get a chance to really learn through implementation rather than what might sometimes um, be a, a roadblock to progress, which is, well, it's not perfect, so we can't 
put it into practice. And, and in the real world, um, out, <laughs> you know, uh, beyond the, the, the islands of the school campus, that's how ideas get put into place. You try something, it has strengths, it has challenges, and you refine it and you iterate. And anyone that, that is in any um, successful uh, business or any other type of organization um, doing any type of work, whether it's in public service, whether it's in the private sector, that's how we do things. And so I think that for educators to feel like they can, um, they can be learners as well as being teachers. Um, I think that's been, that's, that's our, our biggest, um, that's our biggest area of, of stretching. Um, so, well, it sounds like you got, uh, a lot to, to, to delve into, uh, this, this school year. And I think it's gonna be a fun process for you. Um, it, it's just, I, I love creating change, especially change that is positive and more about the kids than about how do I make my job personally easier, even though I do want my job to be easier, um, putting more on the kids and, and, and including them in those conversations is so important. Um, and, oh, and that no, last thing there, just, I love what you just said. And that gets, uh, that, that rings a bell for, uh, Alan November, um, love him so much. Um, such a smart, uh, such a smart guy. Um, I was fortunate to see him, um, here in Marin County, um, a few years back, but his, um, book, uh, who owns the learning, um, is actually, um, you know, pretty, pretty small book, very accessible. Um, I would put that in the hands of every educator. And he asks this question, you know, um, again, who owns the learning and what he says, like in page one or two is, you know, the students should be the ones working the hardest in the classroom. They're the ones that, you know, um, and, and yes, teachers, I mean, and this is a problem. I've written about this too, that teachers are such do-gooders and they want to always, you know, help everyone and do the right thing that they, they forget about themselves. They forget to take care of themselves. And sometimes they, there can be too much of them uh, in the classroom space. And I would say this is true of leaders too. We have to all remind ourselves to back up a little bit, provide more space, let the kids fill that in. So, um, that, that Alan November, uh, resource is just terrific. I'm going to check that out. That sounds good. Um, cause I agree with that, that, that it, it, it should be their education, not mine, not some person in a suit who has no clue what's going on in my classroom either. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Eric, I want, uh, listeners to be able to follow you. Um, what are the best ways for listeners to follow you? Twitter, blog, et cetera. Yeah. My, uh, my blog is, uh, Eric Sable.com, uh, E R I C S A I B E L.com. And, um, I have, you know, fun on the blog. I, I write about leadership education. I also am into art and sports and so, and travel. So I'll kind of mix it up there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I also do some writing for Edutopia. Um, you know, the, a recent piece here, um, uh, on ed week, thanks to Peter DeWitt, who is really generous to, um, share his, uh, 
his blog platform with me um, for that piece. My Twitter feed is uh, at EC Sable. So E-C-S-A-I-B-E-L. Uh, those are the two best ways to, to connect with me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly um, excited about um, connecting with uh, new educators, um, uh, across the globe. So, uh, and if, if anyone, um, especially in the secondary setting, be it middle school or high school, um, wants to connect with someone, you know, who's, who's in the process of, um, doing this work around going gradeless, then please reach out. All right, Eric, thank you so much again for joining me. Um, I do appreciate uh, your perspective. I feel the same. Thank you so much. And for all the great energy you're putting out there and the rest of the teachers going gradeless community. And that concludes this episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check us out on our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com or our Facebook group. You can also follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you get future installments.